Thank you for joining us this morning. If you're online, we are grateful and thankful you're here. We're also grateful and thankful that you all are here with us this morning in person. And uh, we have been studying the book of Jonah. And uh, every time we finish a book, it's kind of sad for me because I've, I've learned so much from Jonah. I've been enriched in my soul so much from the book of Jonah. I just don't want to leave. Maybe you're like me, but I always think to myself, can another book be this good? Can it tell me the truth of the gospel and the truth of the word of God as much as Jonah has? Well, if you've been with us for the last couple of years, we've gone through 2 Timothy, Ezra, Ephesians, and now we'll finish the book of Jonah this morning. You're probably wondering where we go next. Not so fast, my friends. We must finish chapter four of Jonah, the Old Testament prophet. But since we've looked a little bit up uh, in depth at this book, we found that this book is not necessarily about the prophet Jonah. It is actually about God himself, the character and the nature of God in himself. In chapter one, God is the God who pursues as no-go Jonah decides to go in the opposite direction from where the Lord has called him to go. He flees the presence of God. In his running, God is pursuing him, sending a great storm. Ultimately, we see God's provision for Jonah in the form of a great fish to swallow Jonah. But then we see at the end of chapter one, this fish and the beginning of chapter two, that God has not abandoned Jonah not even in the depths of the sea, in the depths of his despair. We see Jonah calling out to God in chapter two in his prayer of thanksgiving for God's salvation as we see God is the God who saves, amen? And God comes to a second time in chapter three and calls him to go to the very same place that he called him to go the first time in chapter one. And this time, Jonah obeys. And God calls him to give a five-word message in the Hebrew to the people of Nineveh, the wicked city of Nineveh. So Jonah preaches to those people, and they repent. They believe God. The Ninevites, the wicked people of Nineveh, repent. And God relents from his disaster from the people of Nineveh, even though they were deserving of the judgment of God. God's grace is shown here in chapter and we find ourselves in chapter 4 again with Jonah. God has given his grace, and Jonah does not understand God's grace. 
You see, throughout this book, God is highlighting certain key words and phrases to help the reader understand what he is talking about. Remember when I told you the writer is telling us something about Jonah as he was going down to Joppa, down into the inner part of the ship, down to sleep, down into the sea, down into the bottom of the sea. And yet as he goes down, God will lift him up. When he calls out to the Lord, remember when I told you how the reader used that word down? The reader is also using another word throughout this book to tell us something about God. It's the word great in the Hebrew. And he's telling us something about his great mercy and his great grace. He uses this word over and over and over again in the book. Let me, let me highlight some for you. Chapter 1, verse 2. Sometimes it's not translated great or greatly. It may be translated exceedingly in the English. But in the Hebrew, it is great. Chapter 1, verse 2. He talks about the great city of Nineveh. Verses 4 and 12 of chapter 1 talks about the great storm. In verse 10, the men are greatly afraid. In verse 16, the men feared the Lord greatly. In verse 17, God sends a great fish. In, in chapter 3, verse 2, Nineveh is called the great city. In verse 3, it is an exceedingly great city. Translated literally, a great, great city. Chapter 3, verse 5, he puts the greatest to the least of these put on the sackcloth. In chapter 4, which we will look at today, Jonah is exceedingly or greatly angry. Verse 6, Jonah was exceedingly or greatly glad because of the plant. And God, at the end of the book... In verse 11, we'll say, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also so much cattle. God is telling Jonah something. He is telling us something this morning that our God is a God of great grace. Our God is grace is greater than any problem, any issue, any sin that we have ever faced in our life. When we look at the book of Jonah, we see the greatness of our God. Let's look at chapter 4 together. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read it together. As we see the word of the Lord, as it transforms our hearts and our minds, we stand in honor of that. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. 
for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? You can be seated. Let's pray. Will you toss me that water? Father, we thank you for your great grace and your great mercy. Lord, we, we see from this book and we see this morning a man, Father, that under, doesn't understand the greatness of your grace. Father, we are Jonah. We cannot fathom the grace of God. And Father, we confess as people, as your church, that sometimes we get blinded and sometimes we forget of your great grace and what you want to show to others. Father, may we be reminded to look past ourselves, to look to others, that we may share the beauty of the gospel in its fullness, the grace of God bestowed upon your people through Christ Jesus our Lord. May you speak to us this morning according to your word. May your spirit dwell among your people and speak to them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I can remember like it was yesterday, going to the Final Four in 1995. Yes, like yesterday, 25 years ago. It was in Seattle, and Oklahoma State was playing in the Final Four. Bryant Big Country Reeves was the star of Oklahoma State. They just did a 30 for 30 on him on ESPN, if you're wondering who he is. He was from Gans, Oklahoma. He was seven foot, and he had a flat top. As you can see on the screen, I wasn't that big of a fan of him. You can barely see it, but I do have a flat top on the top of that. Yes, if you, I wasn't that big a fan, right? 1995 school picture Big country with the flat top. 
So me and my family are going to Seattle for the final four, and we're going to pick up our tickets at the hotel. And of course, we see this huge hotel with these huge glass elevators. And my brother and I are like, we got to ride the elevators. So we get into the elevator, and guess what happens? Big country steps into our elevator. I am in awe of this man, seven foot flat top in all, and I'm holding a basketball. The basketball is orange and black and has OSU Pistol Pete on it. And I think to myself, he could sign my basketball right now. And guess what? He does. So I get this signed basketball from big country. Fast forward, maybe a couple months, a few years later. I'm not really sure exactly when this happened. But a few years later, we were trying to play an important two-on-two game with my cousins. My cousins are about the similar age of me and my brother. And we would have, in the summertime, we would have big-time basketball games in the backyard. Well, at this point, we didn't have a ball One of the cousins suggested that we play with this one. It looks good. It's in your room. Let's play. And I said, I don't know about that. That is big country's basketball. Well, guess what? We ended up playing with the ball. And not to your surprise, the ball, the signature on the ball did not last. And guess what? Like Jonah, my life was ruined. Just like Jonah's plant was gone, my big country signed and autographed basketball was no longer. I think I'm sitting there fighting back the tears when my mom says, oh, let me fix that. She takes the basketball. She takes it back into her room takes out her Sharpie and outlines Big Country's signature. She says, just as good as new. The problem was, it just wasn't. The same thing here, Jonah has lost something valuable to him. And yet God is teaching him something. And after Jonah's rant through the first three verses, the Lord asked him a question. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Fantastic question if you're a parent. You don't address the issue that they have a problem with. You go straight to the heart. Jonah sulks up into a quiet place and the Lord gives and he takes away the plant. Why? To show Jonah that God's grace is great. The plant is a funny reminder that what seems important to us may not actually be an eternal matter. The reality is that all of our possessions are fleeting. They're gone. Pretty soon, they will be gone, just like the big country basketball. But sowing the seeds of the gospel of grace into the lives of people, that lasts forever. 
It is an internal investment. May the Lord teach us about his grace this morning that we may align our heart with God's heart for people. Let's look at verse one <coughs> together. Verse one says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Charshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is our first point this morning, comes through this section of scripture. It is this. God's grace is meant to be shared with others. God's grace is meant to be shared with others. Last week, we kind of looked at this. We looked, peeked forward to chapter four. I couldn't help but show you chapter four when we're talking about chapter three. And if you're looking at this passage, sometimes you look at this and you go, is this a person of God? How can he say this? At least we've got to give Jonah some credit here. One of the things that he's doing is at least he is being honest with the Lord about his heart. At least he is telling the Lord how he feels. That's a beginning point. Let's give him a little bit of credit. But if you look at this, you're almost disgusted. As if to say, who that believes in God would have that kind of attitude towards people that God wants to extend grace and mercy Yet, when we've read this book and when we've looked at this book, the whole time we've said these words, we are Jonah. How can that be? Even though we know the word of God, oftentimes our hearts are more concerned with me, myself, and I than the people around us who do not know the truth of the gospel. Let's be a bit honest with ourselves this morning. Some of us show evidences of God's grace in every area of our life. But some of us show evidences of being out of touch with God's grace in our own life. How do we know that? What are evidences that we are out of touch with God's grace? I'll, I'll give two to you this morning. Number one is a spirit of unforgiveness. A good question to ask yourself is, do you want your enemies to be blessed? Jonah wanted the worst people on the face of the earth, the Ninevites, who were murderers, rapists, horrible people, to receive judgment for their sin. Not entirely a bad thing. Yet Jonah is seen here in this story as not aligned with the heart of God. Why? 
Because God's grace is meant to be shared with other people. God's grace is meant to be given to others, not just received for ourselves. Do you know how you know you have forgiven your enemy? It's okay for them to be blessed by God. You can rejoice with them when their business or their marriage or their kids succeed. You can rejoice in their salvation. Jonah believed these people deserved hell, but little did Jonah not realize that we all deserve hell. Jesus tells the parable about the unforgiving servant how the grace of God is meant to be shared with others. It's the parable that begins with the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. Let me paraphrase the story for you. A servant comes to the king and he owes him an exorbitant amount of money. Let's just say, for example, he owes him a million dollars. And since the servant could not pay the master, he ordered him and his family to be sold to pay his debt. But the servant falls to his knees and he begs the master and the king for more time. The king forgives the entire debt. He wipes it clean. He erases the debt. He sends him off. He releases him from all debt. And someone comes to that same man who has just been released to the debt and he owes this man money. And he comes to him and he says, I can't pay, have mercy on me. And the man who was just released from the million dollar debt begins to choke the man who owes him money. and say, pay me what you owe, and throws that man in jail. Now the king or the master hears what he didn't, that he didn't offer the same grace that was offered to him and is unwilling to forgive. And I'll read from Matthew chapter 18, verse 32. Jesus says, then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Jesus says this at the end of the parable, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see, the story of the unforgiving servant is really the story of Jonah. God's grace is shown to Jonah. Even though he rebelled against God, God rescued him in the belly of the whale, gave him another chance. He is the God of second chances. He gave him grace and he saved him. And he called Jonah to go and and share this grace with Nineveh and to others. 
Yet Jonah was exceedingly displeased and angry at God for offering the grace to others. The second evidence we may be out of touch with the grace of God is a lack of generosity. Some of us are very generous. We understand that God has lavished his undeserved favor upon us. We are deserving of the wrath of God, and yet he has lavished us with finances and a job and a family and all of these things that he has given to us. And so all we want to do is give in return to others. We understand that. And yet there are some of us who have a lack of generosity. God has given us eternal life. Why would we not want to give freely and joyfully? Jonah, in his circumstance, didn't want to give the word of the Lord to the people. Something that jumps out at at his rant in the first three verses is this. Is this not what I said when I was in my country? It is, as if, it is as if Jonah felt as if he was doing God a favor by not sharing the word with Nineveh. I mean, in Jonah's mind, you can think of this like this. We are God's people, right? I mean, I'm God's prophet, Israel, God's people. I am chosen by God. I mean, Assyria, who is Nineveh, Nineveh is a city of Assyria, is a wicked city. They're deserving of the judgment and the wrath of God. Assyria wants to kill us. Therefore, we should not go to Assyria and tell them that the judgment is coming lest they repent and God not destroy them. Think of it in Jonah's mind. Okay, so this is good. It must be the will of God that I not obey God. It is never the will of God not to obey his word. Jonah's nationalistic pride has now gotten in the way of the gospel message going forward. God loves a joyful giver. And the only way we can give joyfully is being reminded of the grace of God in our own life. When we understand this grace of God in our own life, the beauty, the majesty of God's grace so deeply moves us that we stand ready to freely give with a heart of compassion and mercy. Jonah is lacking in these areas. Do we have the compassion and the mercy of God to give. But again, we, we can sit here and rail on Jonah all day long, but again, Jonah does some things right. Let's give him credit. He's honest with God. Number, the second thing that he does right here is he understands the nature and character of God, does he not? Look at verse two, the second half of that verse for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. 
This comes directly from Exodus chapter 34, right after the Israelites, God's people have been rescued from Egypt and they erect this golden calf. And they say, this golden calf is now your God who has saved you from the Egyptians, worship it. And they bow down, they worship the golden calf. And God is about angry, obviously, that they are worshiping another object instead of himself. And he says, I'm going to destroy the whole people and I'll raise up a people through you, Moses. But Moses pleads with the Lord. In Exodus 32, 14, and he says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he's spoken of bringing on his people. Sound familiar? God has just relented from the disaster of the Ninevites. So after this, Moses says, show me your glory. And God passes forth on the mountain next to Moses and declares himself, his nature, who he is. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin but who will no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's a Exodus 34, 6. If you're ever looking for a passage to describe the nature and the character of God, it's there. And Jonah is saying that. Jonah understands the nature and the character of God, but he disagrees with the character and the nature of God. Of God. Look at verse three. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah believes life with God is impossible. Guess what? It is. If we don't love as God loves or give as God gives. Why? Because at some point, in our life, God is going to ask us to love as he loves, and he's going to ask us to give as he gives. This is the second time Jonah would rather die than obey or have the heart of God. The first time is when he says, throw me overboard, instead of saying, turn the ship around to Nineveh. Jonah realizes something, and I, I want you to hear this. He realizes that his way and God's way cannot coexist. Here we find Jesus also talking about this in the parable of the four soils. Jesus tells us there's a sower who goes to sow seed in the field. The first seed falls in the path cannot take root, and the birds come and eat it up. The second seed falls in the rocks. The sun comes and scorches because it takes no root. The plant grows a little bit, but it dies. The third one is choked out by the thorns. It dies too. It shows some fruit, but dies. But the fourth person, the hearers of the word of God, the seed grows and it multiplies. 
Life gets hard. Persecution comes. Life or the world is more enticing. The word of God cannot coexist with the person who lives in disobedience. The only one that survives is the one who multiplies, who hears the word and obeys the word. Galatians 3.20 says this. Galatians 2.20, excuse me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jonah and all believers must come to a point in their life that they must die to self and live for Christ. Praise the Lord that God is the God of grace. Praise the Lord that he isn't done with us even in our worst moments. God has continued to extend grace to Jonah over and over and over again. And what he does here next is he continues to teach Jonah about himself, about his grace, and how to obey. The self-righteousness, it is a dangerous place to be and can lead to thinking that you are in some way better or more, more deserving of the grace of God than someone else. Let us not be blinded by how much we need God. God's grace is meant to be shared with others. Let's go to verse five. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. This is a second point. God grows us through his grace or God teaches us through his grace. Jonah finds himself in a spot. He finds himself a spot to watch the destruction or what he hoped would be the destruction of Nineveh. In his sur sur surprise, he, God relents of his judgment, but he stays there wanting to see if these people would continue in their repentance. And God sends a plant to give Jonah shade. Jonah is exceedingly or greatly happy with the shade. He is, even though he is greatly displeased and angry with God's grace, he is happy with the plant. Why? Because Jonah is about Jonah. I'm sure none of us are like that, right? 
This false sense of security of the plant is quite hilarious. Really, God is, God is, is a God of humor, obviously, and you'll see that at the last verse. But he takes pleasure, Jonah takes pleasure in his possessions and his own creature comforts. He is displeased with the things that God is pleased with, and he's pleased with stuff that is here today and gone tomorrow. Verse 7 tells us this, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Let me ask you this question. Are you more concerned about your creature comforts than you are the people God created in his image? Did you know that there are currently 2.2 billion people in the world who are considered unreached peoples? They have little to no access of the gospel I'm thankful we as a church have a heart for missions and sending to the ends of the earth. I'm thankful we start here in our Jerusalem, in Oklahoma City with this project and the project we have out there and people in our church going to their neighbors, in their neighborhood (coughs) to see God do amazing things. I believe that some in this room will actually, as Joe was talking about, be missionaries who are sent out from Northwest Baptist to go to the ends of the earth that will learn a language different than theirs, that will learn a culture different than theirs in order and hope of sharing the gospel with some. But for Jonah and many times us, Some of us are more concerned about our palm tree on the beach than we are the people who are lost and crawling into hell without access to the gospel. But God is willing and he has grace for us. He's willing to teach us to have a heart like his through the word of God In the leading of the Holy Spirit, he changes the desires of our hearts. And I believe that's what he's doing here with Jonah. He is giving, he is teaching Jonah about his grace through his circumstances. Verse 8 leads me to believe Jonah is bald. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. I don't know that for a fact, but I think that he probably was bald because of the heat on his head. But Jonah decides to go his own way instead of God's way. And guess what? That way is often miserable. Straight miserable, especially for Christians. You're trying to balance what you know to be true and justifying your own sin. It's like trying to mix water and oil. It just doesn't work. This may be you this morning trying to justify your sin as really not that bad. And yet God is trying to get your attention. He is trying to help you respond to the grace of God in your own life. For some of you, we just simply haven't known the great grace which he bestowed upon us in Christ Jesus. 
who came down from heaven to live a sinless life, a perfect life, to die upon the cross, a brutal and humiliating death, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who would take our place upon the cross as a punishment for sin. Praise God that he's not done with Jonah here, even after the plants. Because what Jonah says is pretty ridiculous here, but praise God he's not done with us. Verse 9 says this. God asked the same question, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Third time Jonah said this. Same question God answers, but more specific this time. Jonah didn't answer it the first time. He answers it more specifically. Do you do angry? Do you do well to be angry about the plant, Jonah? If you're in a counseling session and you're counseling Jonah, and he says this to you, right? Your lips might begin to curl up as you begin to smile or laugh, but you remember that you're in a professional setting, right? And you say, wow, that plant must have been really important to you, Jonah, right? That's what you say. But God grows us all through his grace. I'm almost done. Stay with me. We're almost done. The last section, and the Lord said, you pity the plant, for you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a, light, in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which you are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? I love that line at the end, and also some cows, right? This is our third point this morning. God's abundant grace changes the direction of our life. God's abundant grace changes the direction of our life. The book ends abruptly. It ends with the question. We don't know if Jonah ever got on board, but the question is not whether really, is not really whether God should pity the great city of Nineveh. The answer is given throughout the entirety of the book. The answer is God is a God of grace. But the question is, Jonah, are you going to respond to that grace? Many scholars believe that Jonah actually wrote this book, which would make sense. It means Jonah did respond to the grace of God in telling his own story of how the great God of grace changed the direction of his life. Jonah, you pity the plant. Should I not pity the people of this great city who do not know their right hand from their left? Many scholars believe the author is talking about children here. Kids, if you tell them to raise their right hand, they may raise their left, right? You understand that. About half will raise the wrong hand. But most likely, he's talking about people who do not know their right from their wrong. People who have never heard the word of God 
understood the law with its demands, and understood a need for a Savior. I'm going to end with this. Some of you guys may know the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Every year we give at, during Christmas time to missionaries that are sent all over the world through the International Mission Board, which we are a part of as Southern Baptists. Did you know Lottie Moon, the name in which the Christmas offering is given, spent 40 years in China. She was about four foot tall. She went single, but wanted to be married. This is what she writes in one of her memoirs. It says, wasn't easy. I pray no missionary will ever be as lonely as I have been. She gave her undivided attention to the Chinese people. When most missionaries fled China during the China-Japan War, she stayed. When the U.S. government asked all Americans to flee to safe havens, she says, oh, don't say that you want me to return. Nothing can make me return. China is my joy and delight. It is my home now. She struggled for many years to get people to listen to her and sharing the gospel. But a turning point came one day when a pastor of a small Chinese church that she was involved in was captured and was being tortured. And she heard the news and she ran, went to the place where he was. She stood in between the guard and the man who was being tortured skin hanging off. She said, no, don't torture him anymore. The guard said, if you don't move, I'll torture you. She said, with a smile on her face, go right ahead. I'm ready. The guard dropped the sword. She took the man, helped him back to health, nursed him back to health in a larger city. But when she returned, she found the church had multiplied. Why would this foreigner risk her life, put her life on the line for this Chinese man? They opened their hearts to the message about the sacrifice of Christ who had given away everything he had so that others could be saved. In 1911, a great famine swept her portion of China. Again, she refused to leave. During that time, she wrote to American pastors pleading with them, can't you give to help your brothers and sisters in China? She literally gave her portion of food away and died of starvation. They say she weighed only 50 pounds at her death. The Chinese nurse that was with her when she died said that when she started to, she started to sing, Jesus loves me. And she began to whisper in Chinese the names of those friends who had gone to heaven before her. With each name, her thin hands clasped together and then unclasped in the Chinese form of a greeting. 
She did it one final time, but said no name. The nurse, a Christian, assumed she had seen the Lord Jesus at last. You see, the mission of God was great for Lottie Moon. It was greater than any husband, greater than any sacrifice. It was worth it for her to give up all that she had for the mission of God. The grace of God changed the direction in her life. The gospel changes what we do with our life. May we never forget the grace of God and his desire for us to share that grace with others. This is Jonah's story. That was Lottie's story. What is your story?